Well, Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. I believe our Lord will save anybody who really wants to be saved. But the problem is, will they want to? People don't want to. They don't want Him. They're not interested in Him. That's the way it was when I was lost. I wasn't interested either. And I was just going my own way, doing my own thing, living like I wanted to live. My teenage years were full of rebellion and ungodly living. And I did a lot of things on the back roads, the old dirt roads. I could go right by those places today and bring back a lot of terrible memories. But I grew up in this area as a lost person. And I went out and did what lost people do. I broke every commandment on the list. Every commandment against God. And I lived in selfish, selfishness and self-will. That's the way every individual is born into this world. Everything is centered around self. Pet me. Pamper me. Give me what I want. If you don't, I'll squall. I'll lie in the bed, uh, in, on the floor and kick and scream and pull my hair. I want what I want. That's the way we come here. That's the kind of nature that the human nature is. And I'll tell you, God never has saved anybody that He didn't conquer. He knows how to conquer us, how to bring our flesh under his rule and his regulations. That's the reason you got to bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or you cannot be saved. God don't save us in our sins. He saves us from our sins. And He does that by His great and mighty power. He don't invite. He commands. He commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Acts 17. And what He commands us to do, He enables us to do with that great effectual call as He calls us to Himself. I'm not ashamed of that. That's the gospel. And I'm not ashamed to be identified with that. I'm not ashamed to preach that. If the Armenians want to come here, I'll be happy to share it with them. But if they are here or not here, we continue to preach this to be the gospel. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is by the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is not by our works, it's by His works. And God enables us to surrender ourselves lock, stock, and barrel to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, I look all around this place and I see exit signs everywhere but you know, I don't see any exit signs when you're in Christ. And if I did, I wouldn't want to take them. I'm glad I'm in Christ. And I'm glad that Christ is in me. That's what it means to be saved. And I'll tell you, that will change your life. You'll never be the same again. This is not an on and off, in and out kind of thing. But rather, this is a persistent, consistent there's a driving force within us, the Holy Spirit of God, that continues to cause us to will to do the will of God. And if our will is not up to speed with the will of God, then 
we still have the will to say, not my will, but thy will be done, even if it kills me. Amen? The will of God. And so now we're ready for Exodus chapter 20. If you'll turn there with me, Exodus chapter 20, and we'll continue our study. We've been studying now the Ten Commandments, the also called the Decalogue. Uh, we started last Sunday morning, and we continued this morning, and then this evening. We've been studying the book of Exodus. We finished up Genesis, and now we're studying the book of Exodus, and we've come to chapter 20. These first 17 verses are just the beginning of laws that God set for ancient Hebrew people. Back under when the nation was formed down in Egypt, God delivered them from Egypt, brought them up out of Egypt, and He did so by His mighty power. He brought judgment upon the Egyptians and salvation to the Hebrew people as He delivered them across that Red Sea by splitting the water, dividing the water. They went across on dry ground. All of it was a miracle. Every time God acts in grace for humankind, it's miraculous. And the results of it are supernatural and powerful beyond anything that any man can do. I've never seen a preacher who can save sinners. I've seen preachers who thought they could do it. And they think that they that they do save sinners. But a man cannot save another man. And I even, not only could I not save a sinner, I could not help God save me. God had to do every bit of it. He had, I've heard preachers say, sinner, if you'll make the first move, God will make the next one. That's not the way it works. God has to make the first move and every move. And because a dead man can't make a move. And all sinners are dead in trespasses and in sin. And it takes a living Christ to save a dead sinner. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead and He's been saving sinners. He specializes in that. He's the expert. He's the only one who can accomplish the great task of seeking and saving that which was lost. He tells us preachers and us Christians to preach the gospel to every creature, but He don't tell us to save every creature. He tells you and I to be a witness to every creature, but He don't tell us that we're going to save those creatures. We are to be the witness, but as far as the people, it may go in one ear and out the other. They may not hear a thing unless God calls their attention to truth. When God begins to reveal truth, this is the thing that stops them in their tracks. And they can't go any further because God has them cornered. And God is about to do what only God can do. And that is save that sinner and change his entire life. And she won't ever be the same again. And he won't ever be the same again. Because the God of all glory, the God of the universe, has taken up permanent residence in their heart. That's what it takes to save sinners. You say, I know what I'll do. I'll keep those Ten Commandments. No, you won't. No, you won't. You ought to do everything you can, but I promise you, you will not keep them. You cannot keep them. There's only one who's ever kept them, and He kept them perfectly, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very first commandment, 
that said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me to the very tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet. The Lord Jesus Christ perfectly obeyed the Holy Father in every single one of those commandments. He fulfilled the law of Moses by keeping those commandments. He lived the perfect life and it qualified him to be a substitute and a savior for his lost sheep. And praise God, that's how we get saved. Amen. Because we got a Savior, Christ the Lord. And we worship Him and adore Him. I have broken every one of these Ten Commandments. I've broken every one of them. I've broken number one right on through number ten. I lived a life of sin and shame in my lost condition. I hadn't done perfectly since the day God saved me because He has not yet completed His work of salvation on me. But He will. He has begun that good work and He will continue that good work. There's always the saws and the hammering and the nail go, nailing going on on the inside of me by the Holy Ghost, God in me. Work in this. And he says to me in Philippians 2.12, Now you work it out. I'm working it in. You work it out. And let other people see that. This don't make us holier than thou when we stand before this world and we try to speak to people about Christ. We're not better than they are. We're just better off than they are. Because God is making a Christian out of us. And he'll never abandon his job. He'll never give up on us. He'll continue his work. And he will persevere right on to the very day that you and I are glorified in the presence of God. I still don't perfectly keep these Ten Commandments, but now I am working at it because God has put the desire in me. And I want to live this life of holiness unto the Lord I read in 1 John 5 and verse number 21, the last statement in 1 John where the Apostle John says to God's people, he said, little children, flee from idolatry. She has to keep telling us that. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image. That's the first two commandments. And it's still in force today. God is a very jealous God. And God will not share our hearts with some, with the, this ungodly world and with the enemies who hate God. God's not going to share our hearts with them. He says, He says, and I think it's Solomon, but I still believe that it is directly speaking of God Himself. He said, My son, give me thy heart. And not 99% of it either. He said, I want it all. And I'll tell you, when you and I are yielding ourselves to God to walk in the beauty of the holiness that we find in these verses of Scriptures that declare the Ten Commandments, I believe that we are then giving our heart to God. Now, I am not a polygamist. I got one wife. And I believe that's all God wants me to have. And I know for a fact that's all I can handle at, one, at any one time. At one wife. 
And I love my wife. And I was willing to take her as my wife. As long as she didn't ask me, Tommy, you know I gave up all them boyfriends, but if it's all right with you, I'm going to keep these three right here. And just, you know, uh, we'll take them home with us and, and I'll enjoy these if that'll be all right with you. No, that would have stopped the wedding right there. I'm not willing to share her with anybody else because I'm a jealous husband. I don't mean by that insanely jealous. I'm not sitting around trying to think of something that she may be doing just because she's not with me at the time. That's called stupidity. That's not rational thinking. That's creating a fight in the home that is not even necessary. And there's a lot of that 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 goes on. When God calls himself a jealous God in the Scriptures, he's speaking of a rational kind of jealousy, one that you would expect. That is, he has a people he's not willing to share with anybody else. And he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that word before literally means in the Hebrew, up against me. I, I have, God says, I have no competition. No competition. And he don't want us loving idols and, and, and beings that are trying to take the place of God. He don't want you and I sharing our love with, with anyone that, that is taking the place of God. Over and over in the Scriptures, God says, I am the Lord thy God. And He said, I alone am your Lord and your God. There is no God beside me. And we know that to be true. No true and living God beside Him. By the way, let me just quickly say this. I don't know exactly how it's going to go, but we're going to wait on God with this, and I'll try to follow Him. But it's not my intention to get hung up on either one of these commandments, and here's why. I'm talking about in my preaching. This is the reason. It's only been about three years ago that we went in depth on the Ten Commandments. And we covered each commandment. I told you everything that I knew about it. Each one of those commandments. And it took us a while to go through all ten of them. It's not my intention to do that in this particular series because we want to continue on as, as, as we can with the flow of the book of Exodus. Because my main concern is that we would get somewhat of a panoramic view. If we can get a bird's eye view, fly as high as we can and look down and see the whole picture, it will tell us more about the book than we have known. Now, I do believe in, in, in studies of particular books, if you're not trying to work your way through the whole, all of the Bible, it's very important to cast anchor very, very often and dig as deep into it as you possibly can to get as much truth up out of it as you can possibly can. 
But I think that there are seasons for that. There are times for that in Bible study. Right now, I want you to see the movement of the book of Exodus as the adventure and uh, the dialogue carries us along through the scripture or the narrative through the scriptures. And, and, and so I, I don't intend to go into in-depth study on each individual, uh, each individual com- command. If anything, I, I would probably, and I did tack this on the end of the study about three years ago. These were the days during the COVID and all this kind of stuff. We were kind of shut up together. But uh, I do intend to take a good summary of it before we quit. Because the summary of the Ten Commandments, they're all summed up in two commandments. And those two commandments is first and foremost, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, with all thy thy mind and all thy strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. And then the second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That first commandment sums up that first table, tablet of stone, that has the first four commandments on it, because this has to do with our relationship to God. And if we love God the way we ought to love God, we will obey God. And we will keep His commandments. We will walk in the beauty of His holiness. And we will treat him as if he is our only true love. And his, we can love him for 50 years. I've been loving him now for about 50 years, a little over 50. And it's still a sweetheart love. Amen? I don't ever get bored with him. And his love for me never drops to a lower level. It's always a perfect and consistent love. He loves me too much to let me run wild. He loves me too much to allow me to wander off. I mean, friend, my God loves me too much to unhook from me or say he ain't worth the trouble and toss me aside. He's going to keep me close to him even if he has to beat the daylights out of me for me to... Walk in obedience to Him. He said, as many as I love, I'll chasten them. That is, I'll child train them. I'll do whatever I have to do to make certain that they're going to be all right. And as long as they walk in line with these commandments and all the commandments that God has given to His people, whether it be Israel or the church, and and again, I understand, I know fully, that there are some commandments God gave to Israel that are no longer in force. I understand that. And we don't keep those commandments, those dietary laws and uh, sacrificial laws and ceremonial laws and civil laws. There are a lot of those that we we don't do today. God had that for His particular nation that He chose, the Israeli people. But today, God's still a moral God. He is still a God of high standards. And being the God that He is, He still says to His church, Thou shalt not. And He still says to His church, 
Thou shalt. There are some things I want you not to do. There are some things I want you to do. And friends, all of this is, is testifying to the character of God. When God said, here's what I want you to do, He is saying, that's because this is what I am. This is what I am. I hate these sins. God said, I hate these sins. And I love this, these, these things that I've commanded you that, uh, such as honor thy father and thy mother and honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy for us the Lord's day, Sunday. And there are things that I love. There are things that I hate. And you know, I just want you to get on the same page with me. And I want you to love what I love, and I want you to hate what I hate. And I want you to live that out in your life. And if you're not doing that, then you're not Christian. And if you're not Christian, you're not going to heaven when you die. Christianity is not a neon sign that flashes on and off, on and off, on and off. It's something that stays with you. It's a path that you try to stay on. You try to live on. If you do wander off, God has certain ways as a heavenly father to get you back on that path. It's called in the scriptures, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, it's called a straight and narrow way. That's Christianity. That's the only road that leads to heaven. It's a narrow way. And some people get a little church, get a, get a little bit of church religion, and that's all they got. And so after a while they say, I'm too hemmed in. The preaching will make them feel hemmed in. I'm too hemmed in. i got to break free. i got to get out of this straight jacket. And so they take off. That's not Christianity. And I'll tell you nine times out of ten, it's not backsliding either. It's somebody that didn't have the goods to start with. If you're going to continue right, you're going to have to start right. And you start right by entering in at the straight gate. And our Lord Himself is the door. That's the only way we're going to get to heaven. Religion just flat won't get it done. And since you and I are not able to perfectly keep the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are not a Savior either. And God never intended them to be a Savior. The Ten Commandments declares the, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the purity of God. And Jesus came and He lived that out here on planet Earth. And He's asked the religious crowd who hated Him so much because they couldn't live it, they were not living it, even though they claimed to be living it. And they were so upset with Jesus and they tried every way they could to accuse Him of this, that, and the other. And Jesus called them on the carpet one day and said, which one of you can convince me that I have sinned? Convince me of sin. Which one of you can do it? And not a one of them spoke up. He knew how to knock the wind out of, out of their sails and how to stop their boasting about who they were. They're the great praying men. And to prove it to you, they'd stand out on the street corner and pray for a solid hour. But the only ones they were really talking to were their own self. 
God wasn't listening to that crazy junk. He knew what they really were. He sees the heart. He knows what's going on in the mind and the thoughts and everything. He knows what we whisper in quiet and what we, uh, as well as what we shout out loud. He knows everything. That's the reason, by the way, just go ahead and confess up. Cause he already knows it anyway. When I get down to pray, I don't try to keep anything from God. That'd be foolish. You can't keep nothing from him. Might as well go ahead and tell him about it. Tell him about your wicked thoughts. Take him, tell him about your loose tongue. Tell him about your ungodly desires and those wicked, filthy places that you've been to. Tell him. You might as well tell him. He already knows it. You have nothing hidden from God. And the day is coming when you will have to stand and account to that God. He told the Hebrew people, he said, don't, this is the second commandment, he said, don't be carving images of anything in heaven, anything on earth, and then bowing down to them. Don't do that. That's offensive to me, he says. God is spirit. God didn't have a body back in the day. There were times of what is called a theophany where God would make an appearance to man in some form in a burning bush or even as an angelic being or however he chose to do so. But God had no image for them to carve out. And anytime anybody carved something out, all they had was a rock or a stick that they had carved a face on it. That's all they got, like this thing here. Brother Marion Price brought me from, from uh, Africa. It's got a man's face on it. I don't know if you can see that or not. Got a man's face on it. That didn't hurt him a lick. Didn't hurt him. I could spit on him. I could slap him. I could do anything I wanted to. But you know why it don't hurt? Because it ain't nothing but a stick. That's all it is. People are making stuff like this. And that, that's, I'm not saying that's what this cane was for. But people make stuff like this in various religions and put it up on a man-made altar, and then they bow down to it. They bow down to it. And they talk to it. They pray to it. They call it their God. There's nothing rational about this. There's nothing about this that makes sense. This is the makings of a man. A man took a stick and he took a knife and he carved all this out. This is man making his gods. God said it don't work that way. He said, I'm the true and living God. I made you. I made you. I'm the creator. You're the creature. And you're not creating a God when you make those carvings and bow down to them. And yet, millions upon millions upon millions of people have made their own God and set it up on the shelf at home and put a pallet down in front of it and got down on their knees to worship it. Now, you know, that is sad. That is sad. They look to that stick 
to, to deliver them from their troubles. They look to that stick to feed them, to, to take care of them, to rescue them, to be there for them. They look to that stick to cast their troubles and their cares on. That's not God. And even the Hebrew people whom God was giving these commandments to, they also began to be somewhat paganized by the Canaanite nations. And God said, look here, don't even marry into that. Don't even marry into that stuff. Don't give your sons to their daughters. Don't take their daughters to your sons and vice versa. You know why you, you know why you shouldn't do that? Let me see right here. Look at verse five, chapter twenty. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You know what? You know what the problem is? Now, he, Moses tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that God said that he is not going to punish the children for the sins of the fathers. He said, I am going to punish the one who does the offending. I'm not going to punish your children because you have offended me. Well, what is he saying in this verse? I'll tell you what he's saying, and we'd better listen very close to this. What you and I embrace and call our religion, what we call our God. Children, if we have the right God, our children is not going to ride into heaven on our coattail. They're going to have to become acquainted with Jesus Christ themselves. They're going to have to know God themselves and have a personal relationship with the true God. But on the other hand, if you and I do what he forbade the ancient Hebrew people to do here, and that is carve out our images, bow down our images, and make this appear to be something sacred and something holy, you know what's going to happen to our children? While we cannot carry them to heaven on our coattail, we are going to strongly influence them. They will be influenced by what we do, what we call God. You know why a lot of people believe in the religion that they believe in? Because that's what Grandma said. And they'll tell you right quick, Grandma said that. It's got to be right. Do you know why he said not for the fourth or fifth generation will I be able to get to your children? It's because it takes a long, long time to make that thing no longer a God, but just a stick again. Because they have been had that lie so ingrained in them. And by nature, people love lies more than they love truth. That's the nature of it. If I can remember it, Douglas Moo, he said years ago, he said uh, people love lies more than they do truth. Not because lies are that deceptive, but rather because lies are just that delicious. It tastes a lot better to them. 
Because truth can often be very painful. But see, truth is not going to change. And our God Himself is immutable. He's not going to change. And this world today hates Him as much as they did back in the days when they crucified His only begotten Son. And they hated Him as much then as they did way back under in the day when God had to drown the whole world with a flood. We're talking, this is reality, what we're dealing with. And people don't like reality. That's the reason they're so crazy about Hollywood. They like to watch anything that ain't nothing but a pack of lies. That ain't even really going on. I remember back in the years ago, I don't know how it is today, but I remember even church women would get caught up in those so-called soap operas. And I mean, they'd get so caught up in it, they'd come to church crying about it. Now what happened to this woman? What happened to that man or whatever? And that relationship and all. And I heard one time, I don't know if it's true or not, I wasn't there, but I heard somebody say that one of the women that was so caught in the web of soap operas actually requested prayer for one of those people. I tell you, it would have been hard for me not to say, sit down and shut your mouth. You know what I'm telling you is true. The world loves that that is not. There is no other God. It's either take the one that is or forget it. You don't have any kind of choice of which one you want because there's only one. Only one. Verse number 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You better be very careful about what you do with God's name because He honors His name. It's very high. The names of God are very high. And you must not put those vulgar words with that name when you're mad at somebody else or you're telling a nasty joke or whatever. God's name is holy. His name is sacred. And anybody who abuses the name of God is going to have to suffer the consequences of it. For some people, that's just as natural as inhaling and exhaling. Every word's a cuss word. And they dare use the holy name of God. You wait till they just get one glimpse of Him in all of His glory. And they'll wish to God they hadn't acted that way and spoke such words and lived such a way as that. A lot of things can be said there. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. you got seven days in the week. You can give one of those days completely to God. Surely we can do that. Surely we can do that. It's a day of rest. That's what the word Sabbath means, a day of rest. It wasn't even just instituted here. It began back yonder during the days of creation when God rested on the Sabbath day. On the day of rest. He called that seventh day a day of rest. Now since Christ rose from the grave on the first day of the week, it has been moved from Saturday to Sunday. And so now this is our Sabbath day and our day of rest, and our day of collective worship, coming together to worship God, and our day of honoring God through the day and resting up and enjoying the day together 
with our family around the table of the Lord and worshiping God and praising Him. Oh, I tell you, it's a good day. I love the Lord's day. I'm so grateful for it. Verse 12, honor thy father and thy mother. Stop treating them like they're a dog. Stop showing... I hate it. I hate to hear a rebel son call his mama the old lady. A rebel son calling his daddy the old man. My dad would have backhanded me, knocked me off the front porch. He wouldn't put up with that. I feared my dad. I knew better than to misbehave. I knew better than to mistreat my mother. Dad would have never put up with that. Honor your parents. Back in the, under the Hebrew law, God told them, if they don't honor you, kill them. Stone them to death. That's pretty tough. That just shows you how, what God thinks of such behavior. Verse 13, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not shed innocent blood. Cold-blooded murder. God said, don't do that. God's the only one who has the right to kill anybody. And he has delegated that authority to the government when that's necessary. Capital punishment. But God says you live and you live. God says you die and you die. And there's no supreme court above God to appeal to. That's just God. That's Him in charge. That's Him being God. He brought you into this world. He can take you out. He had a day planned to bring you here. You came here on that day and on time. Everybody else said may have said he got here early or he got here late. But you got here when God wanted you to get here. And then the day is going to come when you can have the best team of doctors in the entire world all around you and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter over in the corner bowed down begging God and praying for you. But when God says your number's up, you're checking out. He's in charge of that. Thou shalt not kill. Verse 14, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And that's where... Many people in our day lives. Why get married when you can have what you want without committing yourself? It's the fruit of adultery, fornication, which is a blanket sin that covers everything from sodomy to uh, homosexualism, lesbianism, every kind of ism that is filthy in the sight of a holy God. God made a man. He made a woman. I don't know why they have problems with genders today. God did not make a third gender. He made a man and He made a woman. Look at Genesis 5, verse 2, and other passages of Scripture. God made male. God made female. And that's it. He didn't make another gender. There, I don't care if they give it a name. There is not another gender in the eyes of God. When you get outside the marital relationship and you get involved in an adulterous act, that creates marital confusion. That's not the harmony of what God intended for a husband and wife relationship. When you get outside of that, for a man goes after a man and a woman goes after a woman, you have created another conflict. You've, you've created another confusion. That's not the way God intended any of that. And when you decide you want to change your gender and you're going to get 
uh, have the operations and all this kind of stuff, and I hate to bring it up, but it's so big in our day, we've got to deal with these things. And so I try to deal with it as delicately as I can. But friend, then when, you, when they go about trying to de-gender what they are and gender up something else, you've got a biological confusion. Anytime you step out of the path that God intended for His creation, you're going to have confusion. That's what it is. It's confusion. And if you're genderless, I wouldn't know what to call you except manna, which means what is it? Y'all on the same page with me? By the way, one reason, one, and I do mean one reason, there are many, but one reason God had this stipulation here for the children of Israel, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's God's way of protecting His people against these STDs, sexually transmitted diseases and the like. Verse 15, thou shalt not steal. If you want something, get out and work for it. Work and labor. Do what God calls upon us to do. you got six days to do that, he said. Get out there and do it. Earn your living. Earn your money. Don't steal from somebody else. Verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You don't take anybody to a court of law and swear on a Bible that I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, and then stand up there and tell a big, bald-faced lie. And you don't tell a lie on your neighbor. You're not the gossiper. You don't join in with the gossip, and you don't start the gossip. You have nothing to do with that. God cares about how we interact with one another. He don't want us hurting one another, harming one another. A lot of things can be said about these, and I dealt with it at length three years ago. The last commandment, verse 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. All this trying to keep up with the Joneses, that's foolish. A lot of things I would like to have, but I'm not going to sit around dreaming about it. I'm not going to sit puffed up with my thumb stuck in my mouth, sucking my thumb because my neighbor can do it and I can't. Because he's got a big nice boat and I can't afford one. Because he has uh, a summer home and I don't. That's covetousness. So covetous, some people that never give a dime in tithes and offerings to help with the furtherance of the gospel. And if nothing else, to at least keep the electric bill going. Everybody ought to join in with paying the electric bill, wouldn't you think? I mean, as long as they're able to work and make a living, it costs money to have these, this, this building here. It costs money to build it. It costs money to keep it going. We got equipment up there that we have to take care of. It, it breaks down. Air conditioning and such breaks down. It costs money to get all this stuff. It costs money to seal the parking lot. And so we need to, everybody ought to be willing to pitch in. And anybody who is well able to work and is making a living or has money coming in, I'll tell you that people don't have People don't have a leg to stand on if they let everybody else pay the bills and they're not going to help with it. Ain't right, is it, Brother Doug? That's right. 
And I want to tell you, I'm glad to tithe and give grace offerings. I'm glad to do that. I'm happy to do that. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't regret doing that at all. And I've been doing it for years. And you know what God has been doing for my wife and me? Feeding us every day. Clothing us every day. Paying for our bills. Looking after us. God has done that for us. He's been good to us. I don't mind one bit. Praise God, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to give extra for our, to get that parking lot out there sealed. If anybody will join in with us, that'll take a load off the church. That'll keep us from depleting what funds that we have to help us get that done. That's going to cost several thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. So I just kind of throw that in. Isn't it wonderful how that just fit in? I didn't have to force it. It just fit right in there. Amen. Do these things, he said, because of this is what I am. This is how I think. This is my nature. And I want you to be a partaker of my divine nature. Thank you, Father, for the study this evening. Thank you for each soul who came this way. Now, Lord, help us not to be hearers only, but help us to be doers of Your Word, to walk in obedience to You and glorify You because You're worthy for us to be a distinct people and to represent you well on planet earth. Help us to do that for your glory. Please give us a good week. And may we all seek you much this week for the meeting coming up beginning Sunday. We'll praise you for everything you do in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.